As you might know, that's the clarion call to the post for horse racing. And that's what we're talking about this time around on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We head to the top of the stretch. Ambassador Mike with Jose Medina have taken over that second position, now looking to battle the lead with Arbu's Taboo as they meet together halfway through the stretch. It's Ambassador Mike alongside Arbu's Taboo. Ambassador Mike, I think, got there by a nose. That's the voice of Dustin Stortzum, the new track announcer at Fonner Park in Grand Island, Nebraska. Celtics Wildcat making a run at it to the wire alongside ready to get loud and ragey rage and it's going to be Celtics Wildcat with David Cardozo who gets home in the Fonner third. Dustin Stortzum is Fonner Park's track announcer calling horse racing for the folks uh, in the stadium. And uh, he's uh, been kind enough to talk a little bit about that with us and kind of give us an idea of how a young man, don't know how young, but quite young, is a, is a full-time track announcer for uh, horse racing. And uh, Dustin, thanks for your time, and I look forward to uh, hearing about it. Yeah, no problem. 24 years old, by the way, John. I'm 24 now. <laughs> 24, 24. And in your first full year as the track announcer at Fonner Park. And I know you're going to give us a little bit of an idea of how that happened. But I need to say right now that that Steve Anderson made a big difference in your life in this regard. Um, and you know this. I worked with Steve 45 years ago uh, in the television business. My first TV job was in Kearney and Steve Anderson was the sports director at Kearney before he then eventually left and then took over the skate Island and then did the track announcing and a lot of other things. And, and Steve and I reconnected when I moved back to Nebraska because we really hadn't spent a lot of time um, with each other. And I, I'm just was devastated to learn of his illness. And then we lost Steve at a young age. And for me, it's an age that's getting younger all the time. And I just was devastated. And I know people in the in the horse racing community were as well when Steve passed away and, le and left a void, didn't he? Yeah, no, he certainly did. And um, I, I've known Steve for a lot of years. And he followed me throughout college when I was at Northeast Community College. And then I went down to the University of Nebraska. And he would check up on me from time to time. I'd never met the guy in person before that. And he would just check in. I'd be calling some random game on KRNU or up there at Northeast Community College. And Steve Anderson would text me and be like, hey, I'm listening in. You're doing a fantastic job. You know, keep going. Um, you're going to make it big in this industry. I, I just know it. And I'm proud of you. And he would just check, check in on me from time to time. And I'd never met the guy in person before, but he always kept in contact with me, was always keeping up with me, was always asking how things were going. That's just the type of guy that Steve Anderson was. Well, I know then Steve had, had uh, a lot to do with not, not just your talent, of course, we're not going to diminish that and your interest and your ambition and your, your hard work. These are the things that make it for you. But he certainly had some had a hand in in getting you work at Fonner Park. Is that right? Yeah, he did. Um, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he he reached out to me and he goes, "Would you like to be the next track announcer?" And I was like, "Oh my goodness, I I'm living up in Pierce, South Dakota. I just took a job up here uh, three months prior um, to this message from Steve Anderson." And he was like, "You know, I I was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know how much longer I have." 
and I would like to groom the next track announcer. And I want it to be a local kid who knows horse racing, has been around the business before and is a local kid. And I, I was just, I was like starstruck. I was like, I can't believe that Steve is, you know, asking me if I'd like to do this. Um, and I just jumped on the opportunity. I, I texted my boss. I was like, Hey, I got to meet with you. And we had a meeting up there in, in Pierce, South Dakota. And she's like, I think you should do it. You know, if this is a dream of yours, if this is something you want to do, I think you should take that opportunity and we will grant you the opportunity. You can do remote voice tracking from at home, you know, go, go learn from Steve Anderson, you know, one of the best horse racing announcers in the Midwest and uh, just see if you like it. You know, I find that response from your boss to be remarkable, really. Um, this is a challenging business, the broadcast business. And if you get a good young talent at the time you were 23, I guess, or 22, uh, you know, you get a, a fine young talent. You really don't want to, to let them go. You've got your hooks in them. They're doing a good job for you. You're, you're helping make them some money, but for her to say, follow your dream, I think says a lot about somebody who's managing people in this business. I think it really does. Yeah, it does. And you know, the good thing about you know, where we were at with the whole basketball season is things were just wrapping up in basketball season. And we really don't do a whole lot of sports during the summertime. We don't really follow Legion baseball. And, you know, there's obviously hardly any high school baseball up there in South Dakota because it's snowing during the time, uh, you know, during the springtime. So um, we, we were in a kind of a downtime period. And I think that's what opened up the opportunity to be like, okay, you know, go explore this. We have some downtime. All you're going to be doing is voice tracking during the day. You can do it at home. You know, go, go take this opportunity to go try something new. And she, she has been phenomenal with me. She worked with me. You know, there, there was some days where I couldn't voice track because I was at the racetrack, you know, with Steve Anderson on a weekday and, and meeting owners and trainers. So, um, you know, just, she's awesome. Diane Deese, she is the best boss anybody could ever ask for. She's she's phenomenal. Okay, Dustin. So you're you're hanging around the track, and uh, you know we're, we're gonna get we're gonna dive deeply into what makes a, a horse race announcer, and and uh, most people who specialize in horse racing do horse racing. Uh, Paul Allen in Minnesota is kind of a an outlier. In fact, he may be the unicorn who does um, radio talk and the NFL, and still does horse track announcing in Minnesota, and with a personality that's like bigger than the room, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But when you're just a kid, and, and we're also going to talk about your parents, here's another T, your, your, your father and your uncle are have been around horse tracks probably since before you were born. So there's a connection there as well. But you're this kid who gets the call from Steve Anderson, uh, whom you've never met in person, and says, come on over, what kinds of things um, does he start with? What, what does he say? Okay, this is what you need to know. Where, where, where does it start? Well, <laughs> the, you know, it's not just calling horse racing. You have to know owners, trainers, jockeys. You have to make uh, announcements between each race. You have sponsors. Um, you have to, you have to know how to handicap, which I'm still learning it. There's somebody else who's handicapping for me right now at Fonder Park. Um, but hopefully next year I can start handicapping races, but there's so much more that goes into just calling a, a, a minute and 15 race, a six furlong, four furlong. Um, and so that's something I didn't realize right away. And that's something that Steve stressed a lot. He goes, calling the horse race is 
just one part of what you're going to have to do in your day-to-day -day business. I didn't realize all the other stuff that goes into just calling a minute horse race. <laughs> so that's one thing that he really stressed to me. He's like, make sure you're making those connections with the jockeys and the owners and the trainers. And you're going to remember, you know, this horse ran in this race and, um, you know, he, he ran this race at a six furlong and he's going against other horses in a six furlong race now, but these horses have only run in a four furlong this year. So they're not accustomed to the six furlong race when you're handicapping. Um, there's just so much more that goes into being a track announcer than just calling the race on race day. So we're accustomed to uh, football and basketball and baseball, and we know where that information comes from. The audience knows where that information comes from. And in many respects, they know as much as you do about their particular team. Horse racing people know a lot about what you're doing. I mean, they know everything. They know how to read that form. They know how to handicap. They know how to do all of that stuff. And so do you find, Dustin, that that the consumer, the the audience is so deeply invested and so knowledgeable in this thing that it adds a little extra something that you need to do. And does any of that ever play in the back of your mind? Like, damn, I better not screw this up because they know more than I do at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when it comes to objections. So we'll get, you know, for example, at the top of the lane, the three ran into the five. I have to communicate that with the race fans. And if I don't do that properly, that comes back on me at the end of the day. Um, and, and that's one of the toughest things about my job. We had a race this last Sunday. Um, the, the four reared up in the starting gates and then the jockey on the eight fell off and we're in a sloppy track. I, I couldn't even see the jockey, you know, falling off this horse. It's raining and snowing, whatever track is sloppy this jockey just disappears all of a sudden the eight horses in the middle of the pack <laughs> and there's no jockey on him and so at the end of the race i hear feedback from the stewards okay this is what happened you need to communicate this properly to the race fans so they know what happened during the race and this is why we have the finish that we have um and so you know i have things like objections inquiries um also as you you might know race horses have weird names as well and just some outlandish names that we have at, at Fawner Park. Um, we have a horse named Jackie Moon, and I'm waiting for that horse to win a race because if you've ever uh, watched the movie Semi-Pro, they celebrate fourth place. Well, I want this horse to win the race so bad because I've got the perfect stretch call for it. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I've heard you know feedback from fans. They're like, hey, th this horse's name is actually pronounced this instead of this. And you know, this is you know, this jockey's last name, whatever. But man. The, the thing about horse racing fans is they love their sport. Unlike any other sports fans, horse mm -hmm. racing fans, they are really, really passionate about horse racing. So do you find that they're also forgiving and they, they understand that you're, you're a rookie now you're a, you're a newbie. You've been around the track plenty, but this job, you're a newbie. Do you get some, do you get some extra rope, so to speak? I do. I do. And I, I'm fortunate enough that the GM of Fawner Park, uh, CEO, CEO, I should say, is Chris Katulak. And he called uh, horse racing at Fawner Park and he was on TVG. And uh, he's been a great mentor for me because there's been some races where, you know, I, I may have accidentally announced a different horse, you know, at the at the head of the lane or something like that or mumbled um, over a stretch call. And, and he's been, uh, you know, very he's he's just 
he's been a great mentor to me and he's really helped me out. And he's like, you know what? You've just got to slow things down. Sometimes you, I know horse racing is go, go, go. Sometimes you just got to slow it down yourself and, and just paint the picture for the race fans. Isn't that kind of what you've learned uh, both uh, here, I hope, and, uh, and in, Nor in Norfolk and, and also in your experience is that when that game gets slowed down, when the, the what you're watching is not so overwhelming that you can call it. So I don't think it's dissimilar to football and basketball. And well, some people think that baseball is already slow, that it's slowed down, but you know, you, you can see, right. You can see it. Right. Are you getting there? Are you getting close to that point where, where it's slowed down and it's not all overwhelming still? Yeah. Unless we have a four furlong race and there's 10 horses in it, then there's just no, you can't slow that down. <laughs> you just, you hope to call the first five horses and you know what, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, owners <laughs> and trainers on the last five horses in the back of the pack, but uh, you're not getting called in that four furlong yeah. race. Or, or the eight horses out there running around the track without a jockey. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the good thing is, is that every time you see something unusual happen, um, uh, you'll be ready for it next time. And, and and that's one of the things I think that that people don't understand about what makes good broadcasters. Sure, there's a few people who are so talented that maybe they can just sit down and do it. I don't know who the, who they are, but most of the rest of us have to learn the craft and just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it uh, makes us better at it. And and you suffer through it sometimes. And there probably will be, I hate to tell you, Dustin, a couple more embarrassing moments uh, before you get to the point where you're ready to go to uh, Churchill Downs and do this. But uh, until then, uh, it's all part of the learning process. So, I mean, um, like like I said before, um, there there's just something different with every race in horse racing. And my uh, there's a guy who does Equibase right next to me. And my first ever race call the two horse went over the inside rail and then my seventh race call of my horse racing career when i was finally you know the full-time announcer the four horse goes over the inside rail so two out of my first nine races i called i had horses go over the inside rail <laughs> and uh i was talking with gary shape he's a track announcer at columbus he goes i think maybe a handful of times in my you know however many years of race calling he's had he's like maybe a handful three or four times have i had a horse go over the inside rail and you've had it done twice to you in nine race calls he's like you've really experienced it all in in the first week <laughs> and let me visualize this the horse then comes back over the rail and goes back onto the track yes and yeah. then you're you're trying to keep the jockey safe and you know the the valets who are coming on the track trying to stop this horse, you know, running at you at full speed. You're trying to let the race fans know where this horse is at. And it, it just becomes a mess um, when something like that happens. Dustin Stortzum is the uh, track announcer at Fonner Park, which is the premier horse racing venue in the state of Nebraska. I'm John Schrader. He's with us on Watch the Media for people who may not necessarily be horse racing fans, give us an idea as deeply and as honestly as you can where Fonner Park fits into the whole big picture of horse racing in America. Yeah, so uh, we are the premier track here um, in Nebraska currently. You know, back in the day, 
you know, Nebraska had Exarbon, which was the big racetrack. I mean, that even on the landscape of things in the United States, Exarbon was a well-respected racetrack. Um, unfortunately, um, in, in, you know, not even recent years, but horse racing in Nebraska has really struggled with their purses and, you know, trying to get horses here and trying to lure owners and trainers to come and run horses here. Um, unfortunately for the state of Nebraska, those purses have not been lucrative enough to get the big owners and the big trainers out here um, to run races. But fortunately for Fawner Park, they have a good solid foundation. They have been the premier track here uh, in Nebraska for quite a few years. And um, I honestly believe Fawner Park is the reason we still have horse racing in Nebraska. They have really carried the workload um, for the rest of the state. And now with the casinos, you know, casino gambling being legalized here in the state of Nebraska, you know, we're getting casinos in Grand Island, Columbus, Lincoln, Omaha, and then Sioux City. Uh, I, I think that this might be the turning point for horse racing in Nebraska. I think that we can finally start getting to where we want to be with horse racing in this state. And, and you already start running in the winter time, right? You, you're, you're, um, you're going from February till almost the end of May. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So we just got two more weeks extended onto our meet. Usually we run to the Kentucky Derby this week. We are running through the Preakness uh, and so, yeah, just more opportunity for race fans to come on out and enjoy everything that's going on at Fawner Park. Uh, there's been a ton of events out there. Uh, we've had uh, wrestling tournaments at, at the Heartland Event Center. Skills USA will be um, coming up at the Heartland Event Center very soon as well. And that's drawing a lot of fans out to the racetrack as well. So, you know, we're not only racing horses at Fawner Park. There's a bunch of other things going on because we have the buildings to do so with the, with the state fair being held there as well. Yeah. So uh, there's just been a lot of exciting things going on uh, at Fawner Park. So what's it like on a Kentucky Derby Saturday or a Preakness Saturday if I'm sitting in Fawner Park watching horse racing? So, yeah, so Kentucky Derby Day. I haven't been to Fawner Park on Derby Day in a couple years, but I know we're going all out this year, so make sure you come out and join us, uh, you know, I think we're having a hat contest for the ladies. You know how it goes at the, at the Derby. Uh, everybody dresses up. Guys, I think we're doing a contest for bow ties this year. So if you have a, a bow tie, your favorite bow tie, wear it out wear it out to the racetrack uh, on Derby Day. Ladies, wear your hats, your big poofy hats. Uh, we are going to be doing some uh, costume contest parties, and, and we're going to have live music up in the Skyline Pub. So it's going to be a party on Derby Day. So can I get a mint julep as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> even if I wear one of those funny hats and I get a bow tie on, I can still get a mint julep. Yes, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> okay, Dustin, let's talk a little bit about um, how you do this job. And um, it isn't something that we help train people at the University of Nebraska. It isn't something that I've, uh, uh, that I have uh, put in my repertoire. How does one really start to learn how to be a track announcer? That's, that's a great question. Um, so this is how I started anyways, after I got the call from Steve Anderson, I uh, came down, met with him and he goes, get your phone out, go outside of the press box, walk up to the top of the rooftop and hit record. And you're going to call all these races, you know, our 10 race card we have today. And then when you're done, you're going to come back in and you know, you're going to send me these clips and I'll, you know, I'll tell you what you need to do to get better. And, and you know, this and that. And oh my goodness, John, I tell you what, the first, <laughs> the first weekend I was calling races, 
I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I was calling the wrong horses. My program was flying off of the little, I don't even know what I was set up on, like an air conditioner box or some sort of box out on the rooftop. The wind was blowing. It was snowing outside. And I was trying to call horse racing. Uh, it, it was, it was tough, but you know, the first thing that Steve stressed to me when calling a race is make sure every horse gets their name called once. That was the biggest thing. It, it, he's like, well, obviously in a four furlong race, it's going to be tough if you have a full field, but if we have a six furlong race, a mile, you need to get through the field once and you should get through it twice, but at least once. And so uh, th that was something I had to learn in, in the pace of things. Like we mentioned before, um, it, it's horse racing is so fast and you're going, going, going for that two minutes that the race is, is being ran. And, I, I couldn't get through an entire field. I was struggling and I, I was just announcing horses on the front end. And, you know, Steve was just like, slow it down. It's going to be okay. Just, you know, slow things down and it's going to work out for you. And finally things started to click for me. And I was like, okay, I'm getting through the field now. Now, now I need to worry about how many lengths back as a horse. Okay. You know, cool cat of mine is leading the way two lengths in front of Jackie moon or whoever's running in that race. And so then once I got that down, then it was like, okay, Armando Martinez on the lead with Cool Cat of Mine. And, and you just slowly add more things into your race call. And finally, after I would say two and a half months, I finally got it down. And I was fortunate to call my best race three days before Steve Anderson passed away. And I sent it to him. Um, and, and he was just like so proud. He was like, man, you finally got it. He goes, that was your race right there. And three days later, he passed away. And that that race will always stick with me. And uh, it, it certainly, it, it meant a lot to me. I still have it on my phone. Um, but I, that was my race right there. It's almost as though he said, it's almost as though, and maybe you thought of it this way, that, okay, he's ready. It's okay, he's ready to go. Um, it's fine now. He, 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 it's his. Yeah. He, he needed to hear me call <laughs> one yeah. solid race. Finally. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, okay, I can pass the reins. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, <laughs> we don't want to laugh about this because no. Steve has left us, but, but truly it's like, okay, he's ready. Right. He's ready for this now. And uh, I'm still learning a lot. I know. Dustin Stortzum is the track announcer at Foner Park. I'm John Schrader. Okay, how do you memorize the horses' names, memorize the jockeys, and memorize what colors associated with them? Because I know that's part of the process. And uh, and make sure it, it gets done every single time the right way. Yeah. So a good thing for me is I used to work in the jocks room at Ag Park in Columbus. And so I got to know these jockeys when I was younger and I, I grew up with a lot of these guys. So fortunately, fortunately for me, I know how these jockeys go, go about their business. I know what they do to prep before the race. Um, and, and I'm starting to get familiar with, okay, this jockey's riding this horse, this race, he's got a good shot. Um, because he's comfortable on this horse and I, I get to go in the jocks room before the races and I talk to some of these jockeys and they're like hey man I, I'm really feeling I'm feeling good about you know the sixth horse and the fifth race whatever and so I've got a, a good idea on okay this guy's feeling confident this race and uh, and things like that but uh, in terms of memorizing each race it, it's a tough 
it's a tough thing to go about. Uh, I, I do get the Friday program, usually Wednesday night or Thursday morning, so I can start you know, shifting through our, our six race card, which isn't too bad uh, when we only have six races on Friday. But then I don't get the Saturday program until the day of. So, and we've got a 10, 10 race card and we usually have eight or nine in each race. And so it's, I mean, it's pretty much race to race. I'm going through the program. I've got about 22 minutes between each race. Uh, obviously I have to, you know, do some sponsor reads and I have to go down to the paddock and, and handicap a little bit and talk about, you know, what I think is going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a nice little desk there. I have a smaller program that I'll put in my shirt. Actually, I'll unbutton a couple buttons in my shirt and I've got it propped up where I can see the whole, you know, the list of names and I'll have my binoculars on. And I'll just look down every now and then make sure I'm <laughs> make sure I'm saying the right names. Uh, but that's also been tough for me as well. You know, I I'm trying to call a race through binoculars while remembering the whole field. And if I do need to look down, I've got to make sure I'm still following along with the race as I'm looking down and looking back up to the field. Um, and, and that's something I've had to learn and I'm still learning. And we have the Bosselman race, which is um, for $75,000. Every silk is the same color. <laughs> and so I'm going to have to really be on point with my binoculars and seeing you know, who's on the lead. And I'm going to have to remember what each horse looks like and what the jockey silks are going to look like because they're going to be different as well. In the Bosselman, owners can choose what silks they want to wear. So they can wear their own owner silks in the Bosselman race compared to any other race at Fawner Park where you're just wearing, you know, white for number two or blue for number three. They get to wear their own silks in the Bosselman race. So that's going to be a completely different ball game for me. Okay, so let's get this right. Now, again, I'm not an aficionado of horse racing, but I watched one or two. So the number is generally associated with a color. So yes. one is always white, two is always blue, is that what you said? So the, whatever the numbers are and the colors are. So you know then when you look at green, it's a certain number, and then you know what number the horse is. Okay. Now, not that it makes it any easier, but I kind of get that now. Right. And yeah. then Bosselman comes along and the money's on the line and there's more people in the stands and, and you've got to be better uh, or at least really good. And then, Oh yeah, by the way, we all look the same this time around. Yeah. Is that what it is they're, kind of, they're, they're all going to look the same and I'm going, I'm going to have the program in advance. So I'll be, I'll be able to, you know, memorize the names. However, I still have to see the number and who is who out there on the track. Uh, and, and that's going to be the tricky thing. I'm, I'm pretty nervous for that, but I've been, you know, looking up, former Bosselman races and how Steve Anderson and Gary Shafe called those. And okay. I, I think I'll be well-prepared. So um, when we call, when we call uh, basketball and soccer, at least, and I, I don't know how much soccer you've done, but when you call basketball and soccer, particularly you are, you're looking at the body types, really. That's what you call. You don't have the luxury always of seeing the number of a basketball player or the number of a soccer player, but you know that the five foot six inch guy with the ponytail on the far side of the field uh, is is that guy. It, can you once you get a, through a, a, a season or two of horse racing, do you then start learning what the horses look like and how the jockeys ride them and what the jockeys look like and how they work? Is that association start working in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. And it's starting to work with me now because I'll, I'll look in my program and I'll look at prior race and it, races and it's like, okay, this horse ran against this horse on February 15th and, and beat her by four and a half lengths. Okay. 
Now, now I know that these two horses have run against each other. And then this horse ran against this horse at Prairie Meadows in Altoona, Iowa. And, you know, they were going six furlongs and this horse beat out this horse. So I'm already starting to connect the dots and, and that comes with the handicapping as well. Obviously I'm not putting out my own picks yet. And we have a guy who does that for me, but uh, I, I am starting to learn the game a little bit in terms of, okay, I know that this horse and it's really nice when you have a gray horse as well, because it just stands out to the rest of the field. <laughs> and I don't have to remember the name on that because I've already associated the name with the, with the gray, but um, yeah, I, it's just all about getting familiar and, and figuring out who ran against who and where at and how many lengths they were running or furlongs they were running. Excuse me. Um, it's, it's just all part of the process. Not many things that worse. I'm thinking in my mind are not many things worse than an entire field of uh, bay horses or an entire <laughs> field of black horses or uh, an entire field of any horse that looks the same. You know, they used to run a race. I don't know which track it was here in Nebraska, but my grandma was telling me about it the other day and they would run all grays on Halloween and it would be their ghost race. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it, people loved it. All except grays. the track announcer, right. except the track announcer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Up the far turn and into the top of the stretch. It's unrestricted, leading the field right now, but the gray rogue is in between horses, starting to lose a little bit of ground. And coming up on the outside is Cave Hill. Cave Hill from the back of the pack all the way up to first is going to win it in the Fawner ninth with a late stretch run. Second was the 3-1 son of a chief. Third was the six, unrestricted. We've talked about this. I talked about it with our kids all the time. You know, you got to find something that gets you out of the door in the morning that you get excited about. This gets you out of the door in the morning. Uh, but what is the coolest thing about that? You know, it, it's it's the fans cheering on the long shots for me. On Saturday, we had our first five races. We had long shots win. And it, it was insane. I mean, it was just race after race. And I told... Um, I told my mom the other day, she was upstairs with me in the press box. And I go, there is no way, there's no way the four horses winning this race. And it opened up five down the stretch on the rest of the field. It won easily. <laughs> she looked at me. She's like, really? <laughs> I guess I was like, I guess I'm not that good of a handicapper yet, but hearing the fans roar for a long shot down the stretch just gets me going. And I just want to put a good stretch call together when something like that happens and I can see it happening in front of me. Um, and, and just being able to hear them through the press box, that is just something that gets me going on race day. And just hearing that fans enjoy and love and are passionate about horse racing in the, in the state of Nebraska gets me going. So can you kind of have a little favorite in that when you, when they, when you, when it, you get the call down the stretch and it's a long shot that's, that's winning it. Can you give it a little extra and the people who didn't win the race will forgive you for that? I hope they do uh, because I certainly like to give a little something extra um, or, or when we have, you know, a certain, a weird name, I like to come up with my own unique stretch call and, and having that horse get home. I can't remember the stretch call I had the other day. I'll have to go back and, and watch it again, but <laughs> I had some funny stretch call and I had people from the jocks room and the winning jockey call me up. He goes, man, that was good. That was, that was a, uh, that was a good stretch call, but I like to just, I like to add a little spice to it. Yeah. And I well, feel as a young guy, you got to bring a little spice, a little energy to the, to the microphone. When you're announcing a game in, in basketball or in football, 
you you can't assume at all that the general manager is listening to you, the coach's room is listening to you, the locker room doesn't have it on. But in horse racing, everybody is listening to you. The jocks room has you on, the 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 valets room probably has everybody can hear what you're doing. Is that right? That's right. Every single person in that oh, place man. knows what's going on <laughs> at all times. <laughs> So, you know, if, if I mess up on a name or something, usually the jocks room will call me like, Hey, just a heads up before you call this race. Cause I have to do a post parade too. When they come out on the track and I introduce the, uh, okay, the good. And yeah. owners and trainers, I'll get a call and they'll be like, Hey, just a heads up. Just so you know, this is how it's pronounced. And so they're, they've been, you know, really good to me in terms of that and helping yeah. me out and learning all these names. Is, is everybody a critic? <sighs> yes. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, I should say fortunately. Yeah. Um, because I do need it. So everybody's a critic, but also at the same time, uh, you know, they've been, they've been helping me out and that's, that's all that matters. Are they any tougher on you than you are on yourself? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm my biggest critic always. Yeah. I will are, always be my biggest critic. So are you good at this yet? I'm okay. Okay. I'm not, I'm not great. I, I know I have a lot of work to do. Um, and you know, I'll go back. It's the same thing as looking at my, you know, basketball film. I go back and look at each race and I'm like, okay, what could I do better here? You know, I should have said this instead of this. I could have mentioned that, you know, there's, uh, eight lengths separating, you know, the start to finish in the field or something along those lines, but I'm picking it up as I go along and, and Chris Katulak the other day, he was like, I'll tell you what, he's like, you were 10 times better than me, but you still need work, kid. I was like, all right, sounds good. I said, I'll go back to work this weekend. We'll do it all over again. Yeah, I'm not sure that you ever want to get to a point in your career where you say, you know, I'm damn good at this. I'm really good at this. You always want to make sure that you find some way to get better. Uh, you find some way to make your presentation um, even more professional, interesting, and entertaining. And uh, I don't even think the Al Michaels of the world take the headset off and say, you know, I was darn good today. Um, you always look at it like, you know, I'm good. Okay. But I can be better. Right. Then that's yeah. all, you know, you're never going to be perfect as an announcer. You can always do something better. And uh, that's what I love about this business too, is I always strive for a challenge and I get that every single race, you know, not just every single day, but every single race is a new challenge. And there's something new with horse racing every single race. And that's what I love about it. Cause it's never just the same old, same old. There's always something that's going on. There's, you know, there's always a horse rearing up in the starting gates or a jockey falling off and jumping over the fence or right. something. Apparently for you, that's commonplace. Maybe that is not common for everybody for else. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dustin Stortzum is the track announcer at Fonner Park early in his career as a uh, track announcer in the horse racing business. Um, how long have you wanted to do this? How old were you when you woke up one day and said, you know what? I, I want to be that guy. Well, I didn't want to be an announcer until I was a sophomore in high school. I wanted to be a lawyer. That's what I wanted to be originally growing up. Okay. And um, we were introduced to Strive TV my sophomore year in high school. And I, I wasn't very good at basketball. I'll be honest with you. Not a great basketball player. I could play defense. I couldn't shoot the ball very well though. And I was like, man, I should try out this broadcasting thing because I can stay in sports. You know, maybe I'm not playing the game, but I'm still at the game and I'm calling the game. And I, I tried it out and I just fell in love with, with calling basketball. And I just, you know, I, I kept doing it. I got the opportunity to call state softball and state basketball, state football and, you know, I went to college for it, but I never 
thought about being a track, a horse racing announcer. I grew up in horse racing. My, my uncle and my dad were both jockeys earlier in, in their career. And then, you know, once the weight gain started to happen, they, they switched roles, but I never thought about being a track announcer. However, when I was younger, I would take my little hot wheel cars. I would put numbers on the top of them and I would race them around our coffee table in the living room while TVG was on the TV and I would announce it, but I never thought about being a track announcer. And so, you know, once I got the call from Steve Anderson, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is perfect. This is perfect for me. This is something, it's a challenge. It's something new. Um, it's something I've never done before. I was like, I've got to try it. I've got to give it a shot and see if I like it or not. And I, I just fell in love with it from, from my first race call. So I'm sorry, I might've missed this earlier, but how did you get on Steve's radar in the first place? I have no idea. We just became friends on Facebook. <laughs> I have no clue, no idea how we became friends on Facebook. I couldn't tell you our first interaction, um, but he just, he sent me a friend request or I sent him one and we just started messaging on, on Facebook Messenger and that's how we connected for years. Wow. So the first time you did it, whether it was into your phone or not, what was the juice that ran through you? What was it about it that that said, whoa, I got to do this again? I, I think just just how fast paced it was and the the feeling I got when I called that first race, when I finally felt like I called a good race, that feeling just felt it was like calling the game winning shot in a, in a basketball game. Right. It it just gave me that passion that spark that i felt like i was missing for a couple of years because you you get burnt out in in sports broadcasting when you're just calling games every single night or you know four times a week you just get burnt out of it and, and you almost need a break and after i called that first race where i was like man i did a good job right there i felt that spark again and i was like i love this this is what i want to do and the rest is history Can a young man make a living at this, uh, doing uh, track announcing full-time? Well, I, I'm not full-time right now. Uh, when, when the race meet ends in May, um, that that'll be it for me for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the race season for now, uh, there, there is an opening at the Lincoln and Omaha tracks. They don't have an announcer there yet. And I, you know, I, I don't know, maybe we'll see, but, uh, I I'm still doing, full-time radio work for the radio station up in Pierre, South Dakota, DRG media. And uh, I'm very thankful that they're allowing me to still do that. And that's what I'll do until February of next year. Ho hopefully you know, before that, but. And I, I alluded to Paul Allen earlier who does uh, Canterbury downs in Minnesota, but also does the Vikings. And as a talk show, I met Paul probably 30 years ago or more when he was an announcer in California, in Northern California. And he would, he would sort of bounce from one meet to the next and cobbled together a, a kind of an early <clears throat> broadcasting career in horse track announcing. Is that something that, that you could do? Are there other, besides Lincoln and you're talking about Lincoln and Omaha and, and, and Columbus has an announcer, but there's some others around. Can one do that in 2023? You know, it's, it's tough right now with the way things are going in horse racing. Um, you know, obviously everyone in horse racing hopes that, uh, you know, we can turn the page and finally bring horse racing back to the way it was, you know, unfortunately a lot of these smaller tracks are, are shutting down or their race meets are only going three or four weekends. Um, in most of these tracks, they, they already have announcers. 
Uh, obviously, you know, don't want to step on any toes regarding that. But, um, you know, if the opportunity came up where they were like, hey, you want to go out to Arapahoe Park and call some races, I'd be more than happy to go out and do it and travel. Um, but, you know, as of right now, I'm, I'm pretty happy where I'm at, you know, at Fonner Park. And I'm lucky enough that our, our race season is from the beginning of February to the end of May right now. So, um, you know, that's helped me out as well. But, you know, if there was an opportunity that opened up somewhere else and it wasn't during the Fonner meet, I'd be more than happy to go out and call some races. You, you alluded briefly to your, your father and your uncle uh, in the horse racing business. They're still working in the horse racing business and give me a little bit of an idea of how far back this family connection to the business goes. <laughs> well, the reason I'm here today is because of horse racing. Actually, my, um, my dad's side of the family has been in horse racing for a very long time. Uh, like I said, my dad and my uncle were jockeys early on in their, you know, horse racing career, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then the weight gain happened and, you know, my, my uncle moved to a farrier. My dad uh, became an equine dentist. Um, but my mom, she, for her 18th birthday, her dad bought her a racehorse. That was her 18th birthday present. And my mom is very like, I don't want to be in the dirt. I don't want to be in the mud. I don't want to get dirty. And her horse was in the same barn as my dad's parents' horses. And my dad was, you know, taking care of horses that night. And she had to stop out and feed this horse before she went home. Well, they met in the shed row of, you know, this barn. And my mom asked my dad for help. And the rest is history. And, and now they're married with two kids. Um, but yeah, my, my grandparents, my grandfather, when I was very young, we used to race at Fairmount park, which is, uh, right outside of Collinsville, Illinois. And he owned, you know, 40, 50 head of racehorses. And I just grew up on the racetrack with my dad. We'd go to the racetrack every single day. My dad used to gallop horses for my, my grandfather and my uncle did as well. Um, and then when we moved to Nebraska in 2006, we were away from the track for a little while, but, um, my dad ended up, you know, taking a valet job at the racetracks here in Nebraska. And once again, I was with him, you know, almost every single day I could. And I eventually got the job at, you know, Ag Park in Columbus, Nebraska in the jocks room, uh, cleaning saddle towels and, you know, this and that doing all the dirty work in the jocks room. And, and I loved it. And that's horse racing just runs in my blood. That's, it's a store. Some name is, is in horse racing. How long did that 18 year old have that horse? I don't remember how long she had that horse for. I think it won a couple of races actually, but um, yeah, both, both sides of the family were in horse racing. I think my grandpa on my mom's side, he ended up owning like three or four. He wasn't really big into it, but he would race, he would run races in Columbus, um, you know, two or three times a year. Yeah. But. Not to divert from the family conversation because I don't want to do that, but is one of the, is one of the issues with horse racing in the business right now is that it's so expensive to acquire, to keep, to run, to, to keep a stable of horses going that, that it kind of pushes out the little people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to, to a, a trainer the other day and I asked him, I said, how much is it a month, you know, on average to, to keep these horses fit and maintained and fed properly, you know, the whole nine yards, he goes, it costs about $1,500 a month per horse. And when you're running for purses of $4,700, unfortunately, you're not making enough money to stay afloat and, and pay for all of these expenses. But with the casino revenue coming in, 
Um, Bonner Park has increased their average purse by $1,000, which isn't a lot right now. However, you know, once they get the resort finished and, you know, the, the whole casino built and all that good stuff in the hotel, um, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to raise those purses quite a bit and we can get some, some of the little guys back. So for the big billion billionaires who own horses and run them in the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and, and even at Oaklawn and other places, the, and Arkan, uh, and, um, in, in Florida and other places, Santa Anita, and I, I, I'm just trying to think of the ones I know off the top of my head. That's okay. The business is okay. At that point, it's that, at the, it's, it's at the lower, like the middle class. The middle yeah. class end of it is where it's tough, right? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the the middle and lower class of horse racing is where things are just struggling right now. And, you know, we've got other things happening with HISA and all their rules. And, you know, they're trying to get these tracks to to follow along with the rules that are going on. But it's so expensive that it's tough for a lot of these tracks to comply with them because you just you, you can't afford to do it with the way things are right now. And, and in today's economy, it's tough it's, it's tough to, you know, win a $4,700 purse and only get 60% of it. And then you still have to pay out your jockey 10% and your trainer 10% and still make money. There's just, there's no money to be made right now. Yeah. Where are the most of the jockeys come from? Uh, a lot of the ones here in Nebraska um, are from here or they're from the Midwest and they'll ride in Colorado and um, Iowa. A lot of the guys go from like Nebraska to Iowa. They'll, they'll uh, ride horses at Prairie Meadows there in Altoona. So uh, most of the guys around here will stay around here. However, Ken Tohill, uh, who wrote in, who wrote at Fawner Park last year, just won a $600,000 race this last weekend. Um, and he's approaching, and I think he might've already passed his uh, 4,000 career wins, but I mean, you can get it done. You can be a jockey that, that rides in the Midwest and go and, you know, win a grade two, grade three race for $600,000 and take home quite a bit of cash. So it's been done before. A lot of these jockeys though, are, you know, they've got another job or they've got a family here. And so they just kind of ride in the Midwest. I'm going to get back to your family after one more question here. And that is, I was told many years ago that if you want to go do a story, if you want to find a story, you can find them faster and deeper and richer at a horse track than almost anywhere else. Is that true? Absolutely. Especially with the things that have gone on at Bonner Park this year. Um, yeah, you, you could have a reality TV show. Just set up cameras on the backside and you could have your own reality TV show with what goes on um, at, at racetracks anywhere. That's not even at Bonner Park. That yeah. is anywhere in the country. You, could, uh, you can find your interesting stories. Absolutely. Okay, Dustin Stortzum, uh, the track announcer at Bonner Park. Um, you mentioned that your father is an equine dentist. Now I kind of put those two words together and figure it out, but how does one become an equine dentist and what does it involve? <laughs> That's something you'd have to ask my dad. I, I don't know how you even start um, in that sort of business, but he's been doing it from a young age, like 18, 19 years old is when he started and he loves it. I mean, he lives for it on, on Sunday nights after we get done, done with the races, he'll be like, here, take take this check to your mother. I got to go to Oklahoma tonight and do 25 head of horse teeth. I'm like, how do you even get this lined up? And he'll, he's gone throughout the entire week. I don't see him until I go to work on Friday. Um, but he he's been all across the country. He's people have flown him out to Washington State, Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, you name it. He's been there and somehow he just finds more work. Okay. 25 head of horse teeth. Okay. I'm trying to visualize this, but I mean, is this, um, 
like cleaning them and repairing them and pulling teeth. I mean, this all of this stuff. Pretty much. That yeah. that's exactly what he does. I wish I knew more about it because, you know, at my age, I could probably I could probably outwork dad. You know, he's in his he's in his lower fifties. I could probably outwork him now. Um, but yeah, he he works hard, and I know twenty five head a day is tough. I mean, that's that's grueling on your body. It takes uh, some physical demand, and he gets it done. So props to him. So, and he works Fonner Park and also works Columbus as well. Any, any, yep. anywhere else? He also works in Prairie Meadows, um, in Altoona, Iowa. Okay. And they, they run, you know, through September. And so you said he was a valet there as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay, he's so a valet. What, what is that? What does that person do? Yeah. So pretty much he'll show up at the racetrack two, two and a half hours before they run for the day and he also schools in the morning. So that's, you know, putting horses in the starting gates, taking them out um, because these horses have to be cleared to race. They have to prove that they can go into the starting gates, take them back out, put them back in. And that's called schooling. They, yep, that's called them? schooling. Oh, that's yep. great. That is, that's oh, called that. schooling. So they, they literally go in the gate and they put them in the gate and take them out just to make sure that when they really run, when they run for real later in the day, that they'll be fine. Yes. Yep. That's exactly what they do. And they'll do it in the mornings for a couple hours a day. And horses will pretty much, you know, who's ever galloping that horse will come up to the starting gates. They'll lead them in. They'll have them stand in the starting gates, take them back out, put them back in. And they have to go through a series of checks before they're allowed and cleared to run a race. And I didn't even know that they did that for, for a long time. And one day dad's like, you want to come with me to the track? I'm going to school horses. I'm like, school horses? What are you talking about? And that's what they do. And, you know, it's it's a good thing that they do that because you know, you'd have more accidents in the starting gates and things like that, uh, especially with, with thoroughbreds. So basically a valid has to know just about everything from top to bottom um, in this industry because you never really kind of know what you have to do. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. And and after they get done schooling, like I said, they show up about two hours early for the races. They have to know which rider is riding, you know, or what number they're going to be riding for each race. They have to have it all set out. And then, you know, they go and saddle horses in the paddock. And then after they get done saddling, then they have to go all the way down to the starting gates, load the horses in. And it's just a revolving door from race one to race 10 every day. Can uh, thoroughbred horses be um, a little high strung? Yeah. Quarter horses are, are the big problem. They're the worst. But... Yeah, they're the worst. But yeah, thoroughbreds, definitely high strung, you know, with everything going on. Yeah. And and if you've ever been to a horse race, not you, but the listeners ever been to a horse race, you really do need to go down to the paddock. You need to go and look at these, these athletes. Um, and I know, and again, I don't want to... Um, be controversial, but there, there are a lot of things going on. You talked about safety of horses and, and how horses are treated in some places and, and how thoroughbreds are treated in some places. But if, if you go and you see one of these athletes up close, your draw will drop to the floor because they are spectacular, spectacular animals. I think they are They're, Oh my goodness. They, yeah. I, I, I encourage everybody, if you know an owner or trainer and you have the opportunity to go to the backside and see what they do every day or even in the mornings and how they work these animals, these animals love to run. I mean, that's what they are bred to do is run and, and they love doing it. And just, I mean, especially the way, you know, horses are treated at Fawner Park. 
they're treated better than most humans are back there, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so they don't they, have to get just, there three hours ahead of time. Right. Yeah. They, they are beautiful creatures. Yeah. Okay. So those of you who don't have a dictionary or your, or your phone in front of you, um, we know this, but explain to us what a farrier does. Your uncle is a farrier. What does a farrier do? So basically he's a shoer. Uh, in other, in other words, he puts uh, shoes on the horses, you know, before they run and, you know, you got to change them out when they wear down and, and things like that. So yeah, his day-to-day -day thing is he's putting shoes on race horses. That way they can get out on the track and run. So do they have to have different kinds of shoes uh, under different conditions? Uh, if you have a muddy track, uh, do you have to change them out for that or no, or not? No. no? Okay. No, nothing like that, but yeah. they'll, they'll, you know, wear down and, you know, you'll have a shoe fall off and you've got to you know, put another one on stuff like that. Like, like a NASCAR, like a pit stop almost. <laughs> uh, yeah. For those of us who, who haven't watched uh, horses being shown, uh, shorn or shoed, or I guess you'd call it shoed. How long does it take to, to replace a horseshoe? You know, that's a good question. I don't know the definite answer to that. I would say, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, so somewhere along those lines, but I'm not 100% sure. Sounds to me like you need to go learn all those other I need jobs to. Too, See, I'm, right? I'm still learning. I'm still learning as I go. I mean, you, you're you a rookie announcer here, but it sounds like you need to go do all those other jobs too, just to appreciate how darn lucky you are to have the one you have, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Without them, I can't do my job. So that's right. And believe me, it sounds like they're listening to you. So they, they know they can, they know how to do your job. At least they know what is good job. What is good work, right? <laughs> exactly. What do you think the your father thinks of the the young announcer at Fonner Park? Before I even started, I had people coming up to before it was even announced that I was going to be the track announcer. I had people coming up to me and congratulating me on the job. I go, "What are you talking? What are you talking about?" And they're like, "Your dad told us you're going to be the next track announcer at Fonner Park. You don't have to, you know, act surprised." to us i was like is he really going around saying all this stuff and they're like that guy is proud of you and, and he's he's been wanting you to you know be a part of the track for so long and you know finally the perfect role opened up for you and he just he went and told everybody the word was out before it was before i even knew i got the job he knew i got the job so he's he's excited and, and he loves listening to me up there when he gets the chance it's, it's hard to listen when you're loading horses and uh into the starting gates and you know, trying to worry about yourself and keeping yourself safe at the same time. But I, so I think he's proud of me. We are remiss, I think, in and not letting the people know what your dad's name is. Darren. Darren, Darren. Storsum. Yeah. Okay. If if you come out to Fauner Park, so you have to wear helmet, you know, a helmet and vest. He has got minion goggles on his helmet. And the kids love it. I mean, he is a fan favorite out there at Fauner Park. They will line up along the fence and give him high fives because he has minion goggles on his on his helmet. So if you head out to Fauner Park, you see a guy with minion goggles saddling horses in the paddock, just yell, you know, what's up, Darren, or something along those lines, and he'll come over and give you a high five. So you can imagine when he's walking around there in his minion goggles and the people around and the the um the uh the race is going on and he says that's my boy. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. That's my boy. At least I hope that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> unless you, unless you, unless I mess unless up during the race. The and he's like, I don't, yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? That was the number four horse, not the three horse. Come on. What are you doing there, kid? Uh, is he a tough critic? No, no. He doesn't know enough about announcing. He just, Oh, you sound great kid. Yeah, <laughs> Keep going. Go. Which you know what is great. I mean, yeah. you, you want, 
you want that kind of support. How about your mom now? She's she was in the horse racing business. Sounds like before anybody else. What what does your mom think of your work? Uh, you know, mom's a critic. Mom can be a critic at times. She's she's kept up with my broadcasting career, and you know, she's listened to every single game I've called. And you know, every time, every once in a while, I'll get a text saying, "Hey, um, you know, you messed up that name, right? Or you did this, or you did that, or you should do this next time." And I'm like, "All right, mom." Okay. But but she does it nicely. You know, she honey, does it nicely. You know, honey, you really kind of screwed that. You really kind of butchered that person's name, <laughs> sweetie. Right? You're trying. What, Keep trying. And let's have some respect. What's her name? Susan. Susan. Susan yeah. Okay. I think I've met Susan, haven't I? Did I meet her once? Somewhere along the I line? I think you did. So yeah. I don't remember where, but I think you met my my mother once. Yeah. Well, probably find out after she hears this. I don't know who that guy is. Oh, she'll be listening too. I'm sure <laughs> I'll get good. a text on her way home from That's good. You know, work whenever this is published. <laughs> so as we wrap up this conversation, um, let's kind of put this into, into, into perspective about um, a young guy from Nebraska doing horse track announcing. You said that you hadn't really thought much about it. Um, if, if you told the 12 year old Dustin Stortzum that he's, you know, going to be a track announcer, what would the 12 year old Dustin Stortzum have said to you? I don't know if he would have said anything. I think he would have been shocked. Um, if I would have told him that, you know, I, I was born with epilepsy and I couldn't talk until the age of five years old. Um, I was actually still in a diaper until I was five years old, uh, to be completely honest with you. And, you know, just to look back and be like, Oh my goodness, I am the track announcer at Fonner Park, the premier race track in Nebraska. Uh, you know, to this day, it's just shocks me that I'm in this profession. This is what I'm doing because doctors didn't think that I was, you know, going to be able to function properly, you know, by myself and be able to do things on my own. And here I am a professional horse racing announcer at 24 years old. Uh, I just, I, I still can't believe that this is where I'm at. And you have no um, problems, any medical issues that get in your way at this point? No, not in terms of, of epilepsy. Uh, I've been off medication for f 15 years, I think. It's it's coming up 15, 16 years. So my last, my last seizure was in 2006, and I haven't had one since. So how does that happen? It just stops? What, what, how does <laughs> I'll, that happen? I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. <laughs> My, my sister now owns the little mom and pop cafe here in Silver Creek. Um, at the time, my mom owned the place before she went back to nursing school. And my sister was what, six years old, I was eight or nine. And we were helping mom wash dishes. And I said something to my sister, and she had this frying pan in her hand. And she hit me upside the head with it. <laughs> And I had a seizure there in the kitchen of my mom's restaurant. And I have not had, I haven't had one since. And the doctors have no idea why they're like, something must've been knocked into place or we don't know what happened, but that was the last seizure I ever had. That is I, remarkable. Six months later, I was off medication wow. and I haven't had one since. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't, know what to, I don't know what to say <laughs> I know. about that. Well, that that's that's incredible. Um, congratulations on uh, everything that's happened. Uh, I haven't mentioned this, but Dustin, one of our students at the University of Nebraska, has uh, always 
did did not now but did fabulous work uh while he was here and uh, we're proud of him we're proud of you we're we're happy to see things are going well and uh it's a pretty exciting time in your life and, and congratulations thank you john i appreciate it and uh go get them <laughs> i'm gonna try <laughs> at least um six to ten times a day three days a week at this point uh, one you, you don't take one game at a time you take one race at a time right Yes, that's exactly what I do. Uh, Dustin Stortzum is the track announcer at Foner Park. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media.